Hello and welcome to the Mythology Marksmanship Podcast. I'm Morgan King. And I'm Brady Allenson. And today we're going to talk about the Fundamentals of Marksmanship. Fundamentals of Marksmanship is a somewhat arbitrary or seems to have a cloud of, of confusion over it in the precision rifle community. Um, you can ask five different people what their opinion is on what the fundamentals of marksmanship are and get five different answers. I feel like people like give this blanket response like, what do you need to do to get better? And then they're like, well, focus on the fundamentals. And it's like, well, great. What the frick is that? Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I would. Yeah. I think a lot of us spend a lot of time um, in the beginning, hearing that, right? Well, I'm trying to perfect, I don't know, not necessarily perfect it, but you get worried, oh, am I not doing the fundamentals right? Or what exactly are the fundamentals of marksmanship? And then you get all worried about it. I mean, I haven't gone terribly crazy about them. I just try and make sure I do stuff the way I fit. I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say, I guess, but sorry, I'm trying to focus at the same time and talk. No, um, you're good. But, yeah, I mean, you you go over it. Huh? Yeah, so I, I think first we got to talk about what is a fundamental. Fundamental is a basic um, a basic technique, shall we call it? Yeah. That uh, that you bi- everything else is built upon. Yeah. So it's it's a foundation that um, you lay in the beginning of anything, and and that you can constantly get better and better at, and it's kind of what you build the rest of your skills and things that you pick up along the way in an, in a thing. When I think about rope and calves, what are the fundamentals of rope and calves? Um, it's, you, you, it's groundwork, you know, you want to, you want to be smooth. You want to, you want to work on, um, roping a sharp neck. You want to make sure that you string before you step, do different things like that. And there are these, these things that if you, if you will do each one of them, you can break this something super complex down into little tiny bite-sized consumable pieces that you can actually get better at and that, and you can see measurable results from. And help keep you from straying down the wrong path, I guess, too. Yeah, and you'll see that a ton. things proper. Right? Yeah, I think you see that a ton in this game where people will just, they'll focus on stuff that really doesn't need to be focused on. Yeah. Um, so... I think there's, well, we talked about it just a minute ago where you ask five different people what the fundamentals are and you're going to get five different answers. So hopefully we can, and I, well, let's talk about this. I think the reason is, is because there is kind of a lot of them. Yeah. Hard to remember them all. Yeah. They're not something you can constantly remember. Uh, And so what I do personally as I group them together um, yeah. 
so that then I can be like, okay, if I focus on this, this, and this together, it will, um, and as we go through it, it'll kind of make sense what I mean. So, uh, first things I, we want to talk, I, I just want to list them out. Uh, so I think, and this is all basically my, my, uh, my personal opinion about what they are, and it is in no particular order, but breathing Body positioning and bone support, sight picture, sight alignment, natural point of aim, uh, and in sight picture, sight alignment, I would also sight picture, sight alignment, target acquisition. I think that's all kind of one thing, and and then uh, the next would be uh, trigger control, follow through, and recoil management, and uh, so and I think I would add a couple just to precision rifle competition in general i think time management is one yeah and gear management yeah time management especially yeah you could throw that one in there for sure and and i'm just adding those as like uh fundamentals by morgan right type deal yeah right but so i think there's three or four categories and we can kind of work that out as we go here but if we're if we were to think about some categories of them i think there there is like some things that you do before you like okay if we're just talking about not talking about the fundamentals of prs competition but the fundamentals of marksmanship um themselves it's just going to be breathing and and body position um natural point of aim uh side picture side alignment and target acquisition then trigger control follow through and recoil management those are going to be the main fundamentals of marksmanship and then beyond that i think it's gear gear management time management and maybe like position building but i think maybe the gear management and position building is or time management position building yeah 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 the order i don't think matters in this in this context but i think you've got to group them together uh basically maybe only two groups stuff you do before before the clock starts and after well no before um before you preparing to take the shot and then the process of taking the shot yeah right yeah so i would group um, and maybe maybe it needs to be breaking down into more like building the position, then um, aiming the rifle, and then taking the shot and following through. Yeah, I don't know. It's just I'm kind of spitballing out because I want to break it down into something. This can be more of a dialogue of like how to break them down into more of a bite size approach to to go at them because. You know, there's like nine of the things. Yeah. <laughs> Make them more, yeah, I guess approachable would be. Yeah, manageable. Manageable. But I guess let's go through them and talk about them first. Uh, so let's talk about breathing. Do you ever think about breathing when you're practicing or shooting? When I'm practicing, yes, I try, which I'm more calm when I practice, so it doesn't seem to be as big of an issue. But when I get on the clock and I notice I get in a position 
and I can see my heartbeat in the scope, I know that I'm not breathing properly or maybe sometimes even hold my breath, which is not a good idea. And then I'll tell myself, you need to slow down and breathe. But I would say the majority of the time I try and pay attention to it as much as I can. And I think as time goes on, you kind of get in a rhythm where you're naturally your body just learns to breathe better more so when you're on the clock compared to at the beginning for sure but there's definitely times that i have to tell myself to breathe you know it's interesting i think i taught myself breathing um while shooting groups at 100 yards yeah i that i might do that more so that way as well i seem to notice my crosshair move a little more like when i'm trying to hold a dead center shoot groups yeah because I'll I'll think about it and try to get it on that respiratory pause. Yeah. When, when we talk about respiratory pause, we're talking about you inhale, then you exhale, and right before you inhale, you just basically you uh, you extend that pause at the bottom of your um, respiration, bottom of the breath. Yep. You just basically extend that a couple seconds, and in that pause, you um, squeeze the trigger and send the round. And that's, that's, that's ideally where, well, the, I get, if you go off of like old military literature and stuff like that, <coughs> that seems to be the general consensus. Do I think it matters in PRS? I mean, do you? Breathing? Yeah. I mean, I think it matters for sure. I mean, you don't want to be holding your breath. If you hold your breath, you're definitely going to notice a difference. But do I think... It's the end all be all no, but there's a whole, you got to combine this entire list of things we're going to talk about to create a better situation on the clock. You definitely want to be breathing too heavy or not breathing enough. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, biggest thing on that when you talk about breathing is I, I forget to breathe sometimes. Yeah. Or at least I did for a long time. And, uh. I'm getting better at keeping breathing while I'm shooting, but a lot of people are, I, th- I feel like a lot of people do forget to do that and then end, end, end up in the end breathing fast to kind of catch up to it yeah. while they're shooting, you know, which speed up your heart rate, which make it worse. Yep. Uh, like Jake Vibbert, I know that he does something along the lines of, like inhale on when he's pulling the bolt back and then exhale as he's sending the bolt forward and then squeeze and then do the same thing over again. And I don't think that's a bad idea. I mean, it, it would keep you thinking about it. I don't know that I would program that into my routine because I think there's other things that I need to be thinking about. Yeah. But I think the big thing is on that one, just remember to breathe. And if you have a tough time doing that, that might be something you might want to work into your process. Yeah, it needs to be a collective, altogether deal with all the fundamentals at the same time. Yeah. Which just kind of comes over time, it seems like. Yeah. Um, so the next one that we come to is um, body positioning and uh, muscle relaxation. This one, I feel like people miss the boat on this one quite a bit you watch guys especially like if they're using a tripod but there's two positions i can think in general 
that people really jack up on this one. It's that position in between kneeling and standing and the position between kneeling and prone. Yep. It's like it's it's too low to to really stand up and it's too high to kneel. And so you have to be in this awkward lower position. And a lot of guys just try to bend their knees and then you end up engaging muscles. And when you do that, your muscles fatigue really, really fast. I mean, and then you start shaking. Yep. And when you start doing that, that's what you start, you start getting fatigued and it's, it's not a very good situation. Any You'll, muscle fatigue definitely is going to create any more shakiness. Which yeah. Is never good. No. Highly ineffective. Uh, so, I guess there's, and the other one is when you're kneeling, right, and and you're in that in-between position, you have to engage all of your core muscles just to keep yourself up, but I think there's ways to get around that. I think, so for me, on the, on the standing position, I get a base-wide stance, I try to lock my knees um, so that, so that there's no muscles engaged. And I try to get wider and wider with my stance instead of bending my knees to get lower. And you can get pretty low doing by doing that without having to. And so you can eliminate that limbo position and still maintain good stability. Um, I think that's been, or that's one of those things that helps me a lot. Another thing in the, that weird prone kneeling position, uh, you you got to get like a tripod leg over there to like hold on to, to, to provide some support, uh, stick a pump pillow under your chest, yeah. stick one under your elbow, stick your backpack under your elbow, something, anything you know? to help support you a little anything bit. Anything to where you're supporting the front of your body with a bone instead of trying to use your core yeah. to hold yourself up. Even sticking your, your arm as far out as you can, like up on your forearm or on the front ring or your scope and holding down on it. That's gonna that's gonna help too because then that's gonna be a way to like hold hold it in a pinch. I still think you're better off with something underneath your chest or just For not sure. not being in that position. A <laughs> solid contact with a bone is definitely needs to happen if it can. Yeah. Never float float your elbow or something if it can touch the ground. Always touch it. Yeah. Yep. So, and I think that's one where. It's tough because you don't know going into it. Yeah. The standing one, you might not know going into it, but you can combat it really fast. So that, those are just some things to, to think about as you're, as you're building your positions and when you come across that situation. Next, I would talk about side pitch or side alignment and uh, in their target acquisition. So, just to kind of preface, or to kind of discuss what, what we're doing right now, we're driving, middle of the night. <laughs> Sorry, if I, uh, I keep not answering questions that I'm trying to, we just almost about hit some deer. We didn't about hit any deer, well, but they were on the side of right the road, there. and yeah. it scared the crap out of Brady. And so, Brady's over here white-knuckling it, and like... He sounds like he's well, going to we were stick told up his there's butt. elk all over in here, and I really don't. And so he's just elk. like white knuckling these things, <laughs> and like forgets that he's uh. That's why why he sounds so monotoned. If anybody's yeah, wondering. Sorry, guys, I'm trying to do the podcast and drive at the same time. 
But that's okay. Uh, we'll try to keep him loose. Because <laughs> they say when you get in a wreck, you're better off if you're drunk because you're loose, I guess. <laughs> There's deer all over the side of the road. I know. So Anyways. we're going to try to keep our eyes peeled, not die while we're talking about the fundamentals. So this is helping us stay awake and hopefully you guys are getting something out of it if not a little bit of entertainment laughing at us <laughs> idiots driving down the road so well side picture and side alignment if we're talking about that to me is really kind of base basic uh it's you're you want to get a good side picture i mean we're not using irons right so yeah. it's not a, not like you have to like align the a, a scoped rifle it lines up as long as you don't have any scope shadow you're doing pretty good um which you shouldn't especially if you're listening to this you should know that scope shadow is not the thing to have yeah and if you don't know what scope shadow is quick google search will help you out because if you see any black ring at all when you're looking through your scope you need to adjust some stuff yep um now, I do think, though, one place is, um, and and I feel like I have, like, just harped on this so much on, like, and I, and I always, I stress this a lot, is watching your level. Yeah. Um, and to watch your level, I mean, I think, I mean, I think it's one of the most overlooked, simple ways to eliminate several misses from each match yes right you need to check your level before every time you pull the trigger yeah I, I mean it's basic uh you know a lot of people I've explained this to Brady I don't know how many times now but I feel like people fall in four categories when I explain them something and cause I, I people ask me questions all the time or like say something and I give them an answer and I I see it on their face and I see it in how they take the information I give them that basically there's there's these four main categories and people are sometimes in between one or the other but the most common one I see is that ir- they they basically think that that information is irrelevant to them meaning like when I say you need to look at your level every shot they essentially tell me, nah. Well, you can tell by the look on their face, too, if they think yeah. a level's ridiculous. Yeah, they're like, really? Like, a le- leveling your gun doesn't do anything. But it does. I, uh, I did some calculations. I was sitting in a, in a, uh, in, I can't remember, oh, Freddy's. I was sitting in a Freddy's two weeks ago at the NRL finale and we were talking about levels and I just did some quick trigonometry to figure out um, what the net effect of of one degree of cant or two percent of cant is which ends up being one I'm pretty sure it ends up being one degree of cant uh, does at a thousand yards to your bullet and what I just realized is you actually have to double my number. And the reason is, is because that's only shifting you over 
um, on your dope, but it's actually your bullet has to come back down over there. So it's almost like there's two of the same. Eight. Well, no, that doesn't make any sense. Disregard what I just said. <laughs> I was you don't say you, you don't lost have, me there. <laughs> you don't have to double it. It's this. It's the same. But either way, we're sitting in there, and if any of you any of you guys are plumbers, two uh, percent grade is how you hang pipes so so the, the water runs down when you're running pipes right you lift up the one end you put your torpedo level on top of oh, the one pipe and you lift i'm not a plumber by the way <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm in vet school so you can't 100 percent trust anything that i'm telling you right now but i do know that two percent grade is when a bubble your bubble is touching the line basically and that's what you do when you're when running um plumbing pipe is you you raise the one end of the pipe until until you get um, your bubble to touch the line. As soon as the bubble touches the line, that's where how you're hitting the pipe. So the water's always running down, but it still looks somewhat level. It still looks level when you're hanging the pipe. Yeah, I never knew that. So, anyways, most of our levels on the side of our guns are very similar in, in structure. Basically, we just take... Uh, we're taking that generic um, piece of level out and sticking it on a scope. So when, essentially, when your when your bubble touches the line, you're about two percent off, or two percent grade, which ends up being one degree. Which was how much at a thousand? It ends up being like a tenth and a half, a little over a tenth and a half. It's and like that's only one, one degree. It's only one degree. That's if you're yeah. touching the side, touching, just touching the line. Yeah. And it you can and so basically if you're outside of that, how much more is it? And it doesn't sound like a ton, but it adds up. And when you get in the country like out here and out west that we shoot in all the time, that and that's can be significant because you might be five degrees off sometimes, and yeah. you think you're dead level, especially if you're shooting on a hillside of any sort. Yeah, I mean when you see this terrain out here, trees grow. On 45 degrees, 45 degree angles. <laughs> Sometimes, for sure. And so you think it's one thing, and then you look down at your level, and you're like, holy crap, and you end up turning your gun 10 degrees and go, wow, that doesn't look like it's yeah, I was going to say, all. there's times that it doesn't look level when it is level, and that's when it messes with your head. Yeah, and you get used to just seeing, or get used to just making that correction regardless of what, what um, your brain tells you. Um, you just go to whatever your level says. And then you and then you go off of that. Makes your wind call so much more consistent. Yeah. Um, but back to the four categories before we get going too far. <laughs> Excuse me. So <clears throat> sorry. Anyways, we're back. I had to cough a lung up. So back to four four categories. So people either think it's ir- irrelevant or n- not important, essentially. They just say, level can't do much. Well, it can. But And then number two is they say, well, it's impossible to look at your level every shot. And then my argument for that is, well, I do. So there, there has to be a way that you can fit it into your system because i do it every shot yeah uh most of the like i say most but i would venture to say all the top shooters look at the level 
Yeah. Um, maybe not all, but there's probably some exceptions to the rule. Um, because I know there are certain places, uh, namely ones that look like God laser leveled the ground, which is <laughs> no not anything uh, west of the continental divide is not going to fall into that category essentially. Um, so if you're shooting in mountains, not going to work. Uh, and then third thing, third place that third category they fall into is they just don't understand what I'm saying. It just goes over their head with a level. That's obvious unless they've never seen a level on a scope before. That's not happening. They understand that, but that's referring to other things. Um, and then number four is they, they, they accept the information. They think about it. And they go, "Yeah, let me let me see what I can do with that information." And they go back and they try to fit that in their into their process if they can, and test it and see maybe I'm full of crap. <laughs> um. So generally, that's that's the best category to be in. Now, I'm not saying I'm I am the. Uh, expert on all things ballistic or anything like that um but i do feel like that is a big enough uh a big enough what should i say i don't know it's important enough that you ought to be in the fourth category on on this uh topic well and if uh, we talked about it earlier but if you if the guy in front of you on a stage gets up and he's like yeah i don't know what in the world i needed a mill and everybody else is holding six tenths. It was probably because his level was off, maybe real bad. Sometimes, Some, sometimes, sometimes it's not. But man, I—if the wind's staying steady and he's holding way more—and if you're that guy, then maybe you need to start looking at it. Like, and I see a ton of this. This is the biggest trap people fall in. I feel like is they go, well, yeah, I, I look at it and. And you watch them, and they look at it in the first shot. The rest of the time, the level may as well not even exist. Yeah. And it's funny because we watch this all the time, uh, and it's kind of comical, but we see dudes that go up, and this kind of goes into follow-through and some of the other um, topics or other um, fundamentals that we're going to talk about um, as well. But you'll see this dude walk up, and he will he will go up, and on the first first round, it's a half, say the plate's a half mil wide, at 500 yards with a six mile an hour left to right crosswind, and uh, he walks up to the stage and and you say what are you gonna hold and he says, oh two or three tenths, and you immediately in your mind go, well that's not gonna work, because you know it's almost two tenths of um, spin drift to 500 yards it's like one and a half tenths and then and then you know he's gonna have another at least two tenths after that of uh of wind and so he goes up there pulls the trigger and just smacks the right paints the right edge with um and but doesn't see it and then shoots another one right edge again um sends another one off the right edge. Well, now he sees it. He's like, oh, okay, I need to add three tenths. So now he's half mil. Boom, pulls the trigger, hits, hits, 
And then all of a sudden it starts walking left on him. The wind starts dying. Well, pretty soon he's hitting left edge. And then same thing happens. Edge, edge, miss. And then he sees it and goes, wow, I only need a tenth and a half. And so now now he's he literally essentially holding zero wind because he's just holding for spin drift. And goes back in the middle of the plate and then goes hit, hit, and then starts walking back over to the edge again. But stage is over and then he gets off the stage and goes man that wind was switchy and you're like eh, it wasn't that bad really like probably could have got all those if you were if you saw where your bullet was hitting because you would have you would have immediately you pull a trigger and say you still went up there with with that wind call which which was not good um from the get-go hey but you see that you hit right edge and you make a correction and this is why i don't think it's essential to be a a uh, an amazing wind caller like it's not essential to be amazing at hitting those first round impacts all the time because you can essentially be off by bro i mean right there the guy was off by all of the wind right yeah because he essentially just held um for spin drift so he was off by six miles per hour still hits the plate barely and then um if he would have made that correction um, based off the first round, he'd have hit and been fine and then went hit, hit, seen one go left, come back on the wind, see another one go left, come back on the wind, and would have cleaned the stage. Yeah. But since he didn't make that correction, he or she, I guess, didn't make that correction, they end up dropping two points. And then the... Then what even gets better than that is the same guy on the next stage goes up. Now he's now he goes up, pulls the trigger on the first round, and is is hitting dead center. Knows it, goes into the goes to the next position. And it's kind of funky, and so he he's he's like having to get into the rifle all weird, and so he he cants the rifle, think because his body position is awkward, and he thinks that's what's level. And uh, ends up sending one on the left edge of the plate. Sees it, makes a correction, puts it right in the middle of the plate um, for the next round. Moves to to another position, and um, ends up on the ne- in the next position, going back to level because now all of a sudden um, he his head straight up and down, so he's level again. And all of a sudden, his first round goes off the right side of the plate. So then, and then he makes a correction and puts it in the middle and then um, finishes the rest of the stage, gets nine. Well, if he'd have had a level, he probably would have cleaned the stage because... He wouldn't have made a correction off the canted gun. Yeah, he wouldn't have made that correction off that, off that. Then he gets up and says, man, the wind switched on me again. And you're like, didn't look like it, but you didn't know that, I mean, I don't know how many times that happens, that guys get screwed by a switchy wrist and not switchy wind. The old switchy wrist. And it's funny how that, like, it happens more than people would like to admit. So, in my opinion, you really, it's really simple to eliminate that by going out, practicing um, with a shot timer, and building trust in the fact that you can, you can get the rounds off in plenty of time 
just practice checking your level every yeah you open your bolt when you're running your bolt forward you look down at your level i mean it takes yeah, as soon as your second. bolt clears the level i look at the chassis level I think yeah you do i do too, too. Yeah. as soon as my bolt clears that level i'm i'm look staring at, at it yeah so and then i immediately level up and away we go um but i do that every time and i've sh- i've done so many one shot drills and two shot drills with a shot timer because i don't think you need to go through a billion and a half stages in practice burning up 10 rounds each stage no, to gain not. confidence in that no i mean if you go up and and all your one shot drills are consistently you know and doing it match speed which we can talk about my one shot drills later but and how i do those but if you're doing it at match speed in that seven to eight second range um and doing your 100 percent of your uh, shot process then i don't think that uh um you need to worry about it at all you need to make sure you do it every time yeah it's got to be something that's just eventually comes as a natural feeling of it's just part of your routine yeah, I I uh, I'm a, I am acutely aware of times when I don't look at it because I know I just skip something and it, I feel almost you notice like it inside. I yeah like I I feel guilty for it. yeah yeah exactly. I feel guilty I feel like I didn't like, do oh, something man. it's like when you leave your house and leave your ammo at the house yeah. and all the way to the range you're like what <laughs> did I forget yeah and then you show up and you go holy freaking crap I gotta go home. Yep. And for most people, the range isn't that close to their house. Exactly. So, which heaven forbid I do that. I'm now, I, now that I said that, I'm going to I know. I haven't done that. I'm hoping I don't ever. I've showed up before we with the wrong that. ammo, and I've showed up without a bolt before. Really? Yeah, dude, it sucks. <laughs> I didn't There's, know like, that. nothing worse than that, that feeling. <laughs> when you get out, and you just want to, like, you want to take what you do have of your setup and chuck it just like but you don't obviously because we're we're sane individuals and you just close everything back up and you get back in your truck (laughs) and you drive home with your tail between your legs and pretend that that never happened happened and hope that nobody was there to laugh at you (laughs) yeah so um so next fundamental, let's just keep moving on here. Next fundamental we need to talk about is natural point of aim. Natural point of aim for me is when the I, I guess the best example I can think of um, is when you're on a tripod stage and it's like you got to move a half a mil to get there but you kind of try to muscle it and it just doesn't work. Yeah. I don't know how many times I've been in that situation and I, and I just have to reset. I just have to move the tripod and then make sure all three legs are on the ground and then reset it. And I think that's what, that's for, for me, that's what takes me so long using a tripod yeah. and I'm pretty efficient with a tripod. You are for sure. I, I can be sometimes, but there's times like if it's a, crappy situation for where the tripod has to fit i have a hard time yeah a lot of times it depends on the terrain and the ground it's on you know how easy it is to move and keep all the legs on the ground and keep everything solid it's definitely worth it right 
Oh yeah. Like there's this there's this like dogmatic uh, illusion that exists in this game where you the only way to be a man is if you do everything with one bag. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not saying that they're wrong because I generally fall in that category. Like, Yeah, you need to be good with one bag I, all the time. And I feel like if there's somebody that's good with one bag, I got to be as good as them, at least. Oh, I would agree. So. But if a tripod helps. Yeah, like. It helps it, you get more points. How many times does, do, do you walk up there and you know that position is wobbly as crap and if and so you need just use a tripod yeah i don't think there's anything i tell i've said this a billion times but i've never felt like i lost my man card for winning by winning a match (laughs) yeah yeah if you win so if a tripod helps me get one two more points than than uh a guy i'm chasing or or somebody i'm trying to separate with then I will do it every time. Yep. Won't feel bad about it. I will sleep like a little baby (laughs) and I will not feel like any less of a man or like my balls just shrunk. (laughs) Like, and if any, and if any of you guys don't know, I have one really small nut and the other one's the size of a garden pea. Yeah, man. I I mean, if a tripod rear is going to help, I'm going to use it. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. Now, that being said, it's not my go-to. I, no. And I'm nowhere near as good with a tri- tripod rear as I used to be. I used to be really good with one. I do feel like we used to use it more often. Yeah, I think we... I think uh, it's it's the the way bags work. You yeah. realize when I started, I started in 2000, or 1st of 2016. And back then, how you shot barricades was with a pump pillow and like a uh, a little rear, uh, like a light fill rear bag yeah. that you would like clamp over your barrel, and you'd set the front of your gun over the top of the barrel and kind of load into it, and then you would have a pump pillow behind you and you would load really hard into all that stuff, and then you would just um, pray that you could hold the wobble within the plate or if you could yeah. and just time, time the break the yeah. it was like shooting a mover on every stage yeah that you definitely don't have to do that with mediums and any of the sand and most of us were running pound and a half triggers yeah just amplifies it even more yeah which I'm not saying I'm not saying that, that you can't do it with a pound and a half trigger I still haven't have a I think it's a 12 12 Huber concepts trigger um, somewhere in my stuff and every now and again or it's in one of my guns um, because I don't have a ton of tack sports tack sports pros I've got one in most of my guns because if you guys don't know that trigger for me is I mean it's amazing it, I, I like that trigger a lot the, the feel of it feels awesome uh, it breaks when I want it to break, all that. But you know, when I when I come across the Huber, it's not terrible. So you can still do it with a heavier trigger. It's, it just requires a little bit more um, effort on your part. 
Um, so, where are we at? I know these rumble strips are really distracting me. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Now we're on the side of a canyon, and it's pitch black outside. So, and there's sharp corners everywhere. everywhere. So, we don't even know how far down it is on the side <laughs> I have of the no side. idea where we're I don't know at. what I really want to know I because I just GPS caught a glimpse, right. of, glimpse of it, and it's a thousand yards down to the bottom at least. Really? I'm not even joking you. I just kind of got a little bit of anxiety, guys. <laughs> My garden pee we've just been, strung. We've been climbing up this mountain for a long time, so I would assume that's quite a ways down here. Yeah, yeah. The old forerunner will not survive the fall, no. and neither will we. Yeah, I I haven't looked off the edge yet. I'm just focusing on the road here. Well, it's far as I can see down there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry guys. Uh, so tripod rear back to that is it's really hard. You want to, you're always trying to muscle it over into something and you're better off to get the natural point of aim, right? And you're going to eliminate a lot of flyers. I always get flyers when I try to muscle that thing over. Or like even when you're in prone, you kind of want to like muscle it over and you're better just to adjust your position and adjust your bag until everything, when you relax your muscles, the rifle stays right on the target. Same thing in one bag. It's, 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 it's just a little bit easier to get it more consistent off a bag. I feel like so natural point of aim is a big one and you can focus on that and it's, it's amazing how much better things will get. So now i think uh the next thing is is trigger control uh so i think there's things in your shot process and things you're well in your process of going through a stage that need to be subconscious right yeah like building a position transitioning between positions managing your gear all those things need to be worked on a bunch in practice to where they're subconscious. I was going to say, this whole process over time should become subconscious, really. Yeah. N- the majority of it. I think there's two things, or a, a couple of things that need to be conscious. This is one of them. Okay. I think, you're, in my opinion. Yeah. My, in my no, opinion. You're, uh, yeah, you're probably right. Because when a match is won or lost by two points, yeah. and it comes down to how you broke four or five triggers That's very true. in 200. Yeah. You need to be thinking yeah, about yeah. every time. That's true. So I, I, I like, uh, I think every trigger pull needs to be a conscious effort. You need to have a conscious, you need to be in that moment. Yeah. Your mind, you are right. Yeah. I, the trigger pull does need to be like if your brain is moved on to the next position or the next shot, then you're then you're one. You're not going to be able to follow through as good. Yeah. Which that's the next one we're talking about, and you're not. You're probably not going to make as good a trigger pull as you would as if you're thinking squeeze, squeeze, boom. And I'm and I guess oh, a lot of people I feel like they think they're making good trigger pulls, but in their mind it's going squeeze, squeeze now. Yeah. And every time I do, every time you do that, your body reacts because it's really hard to control what your 
brain does subconsciously to an explosion happening four feet in front of your face. Yeah. When your body's going to tense naturally. Yeah, you just automatically, and and your body knows that 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 gun's coming back into him, and it needs to manage that recoil. Yeah. And so it just subconsciously just tenses up and pushes into it. But if you'll train yourself to to allow allow the gun to surprise you, which is, I shouldn't say surprise is like not the word. I don't know how. I know I don't know what the word would be. I think it's to not anticipate. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that'd be good. So, and how do you do that? By allowing a little bit of uncertainty in your shot process. So, if you just have it to where, like, if you're running a heavier trigger, you want to load it a little bit, but you don't want to load it to where it goes off, and then you just want to, in those final moments, you want to add a little bit, add a little bit, add a little bit, boom, right? And that add a little bit, add a little bit, add a little bit, boom, can't be, you can't be going squeeze, squeeze. Now, you got to be going squeeze, 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 and then it goes off sometime okay. in in those squeezes. Yeah. If it happens after the first time you say squeeze, it was probably too fast. That means you need to slow down how much you're adding to your trigger. But if it's like squeeze, squeeze, boom, that's cool. If it's squeeze, 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 boom, on the next one, then great. But as long as it happens within, you know, of the time that you say, I want the gun to start going off, as long as it happens between a second and two seconds from that time, or at least a half a second and two seconds, then that's great. Well, how do you get to where it's like that? Well, if you're like me, you train your body to roll through the motions that subconsciously, like what I was just talking about, getting good bone support, finding the targets which we need to jump back and talk about target acquisition here in a minute. Um, doing all these other things, building good positions, uh, good sight, picture, sight alignment, getting level, all that stuff subconscious to then being able to shift gears into to conscious mode to where you're just thinking squeeze, 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 boom. Yeah. And then the other place where I think you need conscious effort is, is uh, the follow through needs to be up subconscious right right it just needs to happen after yeah. the gun goes off uh, for well, me with enough repetition it generally yeah does. and you set yourself up by by good good body position being square to your rifle that's another thing we didn't talk about in body position you want to be you want to be somewhat square and if you can't get square like i'm a little i'm a little guy i got little t-rex arms and so to get out to the the fore end of my rifle to hold it down and to manage the bag and the front end of my rifle what can't I have to do, perfectly square. yeah, I, my shoulders are going to be canted to the, are not going to be perfectly square to the butt of my rifle. Even though my length of pole is short, is is shorter than almost every person out there, you know. And so, but to get up there, I still have to cant a little bit. So what I have to do is I have to move the butt of my gun to, to get my recoil to go straight up and down. I have to move the butt of my gun from my collarbone which I can still have it on my collarbone in most in a lot of positions, but when I'm in like the, when I'm when I'm shooting off of one bag, I need to move the butt of my gun over into the pocket of my right pocket of my shoulder, allowing me to uh, be able to have that recoil transferred into my body more consistently and more square, right? Because if I had it on my collarbone, it would just bounce 
down into my pocket, essentially. So I need to basically put it in my pocket because my shoulders are off kilter. And I think that's, that, that is perfectly acceptable. I've, I found that things are very consistent as long as I do that. Um, and, um, part of that body position, I think is getting, and this, this is more of recoil management is you got to figure out how to efficiently, um, have the gun transfer its energy into you most effectively. Right. Well, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, that might be different for everybody, but find what works best for you. Yeah. But the biggest thing is, is in practice watching where your recoil, where your reticle goes. Yeah. Right. And I think a lot of guys, when they're managing recoil, they try to, there's, there's like a few cat places, few fallacies that you end up falling into. And one of them is overloading your bag. Yeah. And they'll, they'll really push into it and create too much tension. Yeah. And, and what happens when the gun goes off for me, left-handed, it, it, it creates this hinge point between your, your mag and your bag. And when the gun goes off. For me, I end up pushing the butt of my rifle down and away from the, the my center of mass. And so what that means is my my reticle will jump up and right. And I will actually start seeing flyers go high and right. For a right-handed person, it'll be just the opposite. It'll go high and left. Um, and that's because under recoil, your that bag will kind of give... And you're in your you'll watch your your reticle jump laterally um, more than it'll go vertical. In fact, it'll actually go usually like I say, your reticle will actually move up and left or or yeah up and left if you're right-handed, up and right if you're left-handed. And uh, so there's one thing you'll do, and you'll get flyers from that. So you have to watch that. Next thing is is guys always are trying to they they kind of try to do the do what I they try to they back off the gun and then they are always trying to move it back to the middle as fast as they can so what happens is say your say your reticle jumps two and a half mils well that scares them and so they automatically just try to force it back to the center as fast as they can and they're trying to beat the bullet to the target and my thing is is I don't want to do that just stop it catch it catch it stop it yeah. Watch where it lands. Yeah, it's stop it, catch it, same thing. But I just want to just catch it. So if it bounces, it's obviously going to settle back a little bit. But say it jumps two and a half mils. If it settles at two mils, that's great. Then it, it's going to effectively move half the distance um, as the guy that's trying to move it back to the middle. Because the other thing is, is when you're trying to move it back to the middle, you're slower than recoil. Yeah. You're, you're going to be way slower than recoil. So it, it might be moving three times as long as if you just let it stop. Yeah. You know, because if you just like, if you just let the gun go off, it surprises you and you just catch the rifle or catch the rifle and let it stop where it stops. Watch where the bullet goes. And, and then you do your follow through by, by actually seeing where it goes, making a good full correction. And then, and what, and measuring it. That's a huge one on follow through is measuring that impact whether it's a tenth from center half a tenth from center it's one mil from center make measure that measure that make a full correction and then keep going 
they're very very seldom will you make a correction and the next one not go where you expected. Yeah, you want to talk about getting more hits, you take the time to measure exactly where it was and your hit percentage will definitely go up. I oh, can't yeah. tell you how many guys I've watched burn five rounds in the same hole. <laughs> oh, man. And just never move over. Oh, yeah. And you just wonder, what is going on? And I think a lot of times they're just – they just don't even take the time to process no. the information at all. And, and sometimes it's, it's the level they're at, right? Yeah. Like not all of us are at the level that we have the time to – or or – most of the time we're already like a lot of guys, especially when you're starting out, it's just, it's enough to think about, um, just getting through the stage without torching one into the dirt. Yeah. And oh, that's at the fine. beginning. Yeah. This is not something you do right off the bat. Yeah. And, but as you, as you build, as you go and you practice and, and a lot of the things that we're talking about become subconscious. Um, and then all you have to think about is, putting your conscious effort into into the two things I think you need conscious effort and that's trigger squeeze and and follow through then great yeah should make things a little better for you for sure yeah so um not to digress but this is the windiest road I've ever been on man it's crazy. This is ridiculous. At least we're we're not so cliffed out anymore. Oh, I think we're almost to the bottom now. Yeah. So I'm gonna since we've just gone through almost every fundamental, we just oh, the only one we have to go through now is uh, target acquisition. But my gosh, we we were driving along and it, it we figured that we could make it through this little this area. Um, where is it between Montrose and it was Montrose and uh, Gunnison, Colorado yeah well there's this little deal there I guess they're doing some construction and we literally missed it by 15 minutes we missed they closed the whole road yeah they closed the road we had to take a three hour detour and we're like two hours into this three hour detour or we could have slept where the yeah they gave us the option until six thirty in the morning the, sleep in in the middle they're like you can just park right here and then uh, at six thirty we'll reopen the road we were like uh, no thank you yeah and here we are oh we're and by the way out. it's a three hour detour yeah yeah uh, <laughs> well it's two hours and forty five minutes but in the dark it's like three and a half yeah so here we are yeah it's been wonderful so that's what that's why that's what we're doing but. You guys are keeping us company, shall we say. Um, keeping us awake. Yeah. So, target acquisition. When do you start target acquisition? Right before the clock starts, I try and have them all pinpointed out. Exactly. In my head, looking at them, especially the first target you want to look at as you're walking to the first position. Yep. Have your eye on it basically the whole time you're building your position. Yes, I think we talked about this in a previous episode, but target acquisition is essentially, should be 
the groundwork should be laid before you before the clock starts. Yeah, you gotta know where they're at. You have to have them landmarked. On obviously, there are certain parts of this country where it doesn't matter, right? Yeah, like you can do whatever you want, and it's just not gonna matter. Um, target acquisition is not gonna be a huge deal. So, because the Berm Seven, that's oh, right. Yeah. We need to talk about old Berm oh, Seven. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, if all the berms are painted numbers. Yeah, you on, got you yeah. got three berm three berms. There's three options of where the target's going to be, yeah. and they're all down one tree cut that's 50 yards wide for the next thousand yards, and you only have three berms in it. You can you can be on 20 power, and every berm will be in your scope. All you have to do is look at berm seven and find the diamond on berm seven. Yeah. So you can read the course of fire, not and be blindfolded until they until the timer goes off, and look through your scope and be on the right target within ten seconds. Yeah. Well, that like we talked happen. about. Yeah. How, like yeah, cameo. How we just yeah. did a little recap on that. I mean, there was a lot of targets there. If you didn't have a landmark, you were going to spend some time finding. Exactly. So, yeah, you you need to make sure that you have every target landmarked, and you need to know specifically where it is. Rarely do you have markers out here, so you got to know and be able to have it. You know, figure out. Okay, it's by that piece of sagebrush over on that hillside. That's by that quakey. Yeah. What if we do have markers? It's the first target generally. So if you've got a four or five target array, you better have the other four or five landmarked. Yep. Before you start. Yeah, which and we talked about it in that 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 podcast that you know I feel like hunters are at an advantage because we all know like you spend an hour glassing up a buck um, that's laying under a tree or laying under an aspen. And the whole mountainside's covered in aspens, and you get excited, throw your binos in your harness, and then grab your spotter out of your pack, and then throw it up there and expect to go find it. Good luck. Yeah. Like, especially if it's just a whole mountainside of quakies. Exactly, and then you're like, oh crap. So then you have to start. So you learn really fast hunting that you better get a good landmark before you take your binos off of something, so that you don't spend the next half hour refinding the deer and it's the same thing in shooting you you want to do that and to me it ends up being a net gain because a lot of people you can make the argument that maybe because I call it I watch people do this all the time I call it glassing for targets on the with your scope right so I tell people you don't want to glass for targets on the clock right that that needs to be already done we do the glassing off the clock, and then we just we're just uh, trying to hit the targets while we're on the clock. So you want to already have them found, landmarked, so that you can just you look at your landmark with your naked eye, and it's important that it's with your naked eye and not something you're having to find in your scope. But you you look at with your naked eye and you just point your gun at it, eyes muzzle target. So you, you line your eye up with your muzzle, or what I do is I just look over top of my turret basically. And then line it right up at the target. 
generally, if you do that and then bring your scope to your eye, you're going to be... Within, like, two rails? Yeah, real close, usually. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm generally, like, definitely within a, a field of view, and I run high power. Yeah, you're, run... you're real good at I mean, I feel like I'm decent at it, but you, I don't know if I ever watch you have a hard time finding targets. It's not very often, if so. Pinch is another one that's yeah, he's real, good. real good at it. He runs 25. I run, I go 20 to 25, and then I just back it off just a skosh. And that's my own thing. I think in my mind, I'm like, a scope must operate a little bit better when it's not pinned to the max. It hasn't, I don't think it matters at all. Um, that's just my own, like, little. One, I mean, there's some guys that like running them on 16. Yeah, and that's fine, too. Um, You just do whatever you're used to. But when you're on high magnification, guys think that it's harder to find targets. And I think it has nothing to... That's not what makes finding targets harder easy. Whenever I watch... Those throw lever things, I just think they should throw every one of those in the trash can. Because I don't think you should ever touch a power ring on the clock. Yeah, generally you shouldn't have to. I mean, I've done it before, but... I've done it before, but it's I know if I'm doing it, there's an issue. Yeah. You know if you're doing it, I'm probably going to make fun of you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's like a 0% chance I don't make fun of you. (laughs) Yeah. I've done it, though. I'm not going to say I haven't done it. Oh, I'm sure. I would assume everybody at some point has done it. Yeah, yeah. But... And, And a lot of times, you know, it is what it is when it happens. Don't feel bad about it. Just... Know that don't there's an it. there's a more efficient way than than glassing for targets, and that is pulling off of the op like every time. You, so like if there's a two two target stage, some of that five positions, I'm gonna shoot the one target, follow through, watch the bullet hit, hold the trigger back, and then make it measure measure my correction and process that information, and then I'm going to. Um, when I transition to the next target, I'm going to take my eyes off of the, off of the scope. Look, look at my landmark. Move my gun to the, to the next target. Drop my head on the stock. Close the bolt. That's going to be my gen, general thing. And it's a lot like I've watched a lot of pistol guys, and they, a lot of pistol guys. What they'll do, is they actually. So in our game, it's I think it's okay to like go back to the target follow through make the measure the correction all that stuff because that information is important to us for them in the in the pistol world it's not so they do a a bounce like a bounce thing i don't know if you've ever watched that where they'll they'll go look up some of these uh ipsc um uspsa guys um they'll they'll shoot the tar they'll shoot the target and the gun is you know raised for the from the muzzle from the recoil and then they as soon as that if it's the last shot on that so generally they're they're looking back they're going to look to the next place they're going well if you say you double tap a nipsic and then you got to double tap the nipsic to the right of it they'll shoot and then their eyes will stay on that ipsic and then it comes their their gun comes back into view they they see their sights they pull the trigger again on the center of that and instead of moving their gun back to the center of that target, they'll transition their eyes to the next target, and then their gun, instead of moving back down into center there, it comes, 
it, it comes up and as they're recovering from recoil, they push it down and back onto the next target. So it's like this bounce to the next target. So they'll they'll actually pull away and look to the next target. So their eye they want to think they think eyes their eyes go to the next target and their muzzle follows their eyes. And then it's the same thing with us. Except for we do allow that that reticle to move back to the to where it was before first round goes off. I don't know if that makes any sense or <laughs> but to you guys, but it does in my mind. And so hopefully it made sense to somebody. <laughs> but <laughs> but yes, we we you want to transition with your eyes and then your and then your gun will lead to it. That's going to be the to me that's the fastest way to find targets consistently. If they're within the field of view, maybe it's easier just to stay on the scope, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, if they're close it obviously enough is. and you can see them. Yeah, uh, I mean, if, if you know it's head, just, but... if it's like 20 feet from one target, and if you you know if you move to 1 o'clock, barely, and the, ne- the target's in the next view, then yeah, obviously it's easier to do that. So, yeah. there's a time and a place for each situation, but that being said, it's not as big a deal. Hold on, guys. Sorry, we lost a train of thought because there's literally a stop. No, light. it's a one-way thing over the dam. I think we're finally oh. back to the dam. Literally three hours. What time is it? Yeah. Yeah. Over three hours it took us to do a detour of... I don't think that construction section was more than 10 miles long. I think it was less than that. I think it was like two or three. So... Anyways, guys, we're going to end it on that long explanation of something that might not matter to anyone, but hopefully it helps somebody understand this. But um, So there's that's our take on the fundamentals of marksmanship and what they are. Uh, next time, maybe we'll talk a little bit about fundamental. Well, I don't know if we'll go into fundamentals of competition, but um, that kind of sums up what we, well, at least where we're at currently that that represents what our current opinions or at least my my opinions on because uh um brady's been trying to get us through this canyon safely which i'm <laughs> yeah very sorry guys about. i haven't been paying a whole lot of attention i've been trying to just not drive off the side of the road yeah so but i really do i think that's what's i think that kind of sums them up and if you're if you're ever wondering how to get better uh, if you can isolate those, those different things, then it's going to help you in the long run be able to get better. Uh, there's some techniques of, that I that I do to be able to isolate those. And maybe I'll before we end, I'll just take you through a couple of things that I do. Um, and I've, uh, me and Brady have both done this a lot. I I like to shoot because people think there's this there's this idea that people have in their mind that I shoot thousands and thousands of rounds yeah. of practice. Yeah. Less is sometimes more. Yeah. I do not shoot that many rounds in practice no. because I don't have for one time. And ammo is hard enough to get right now. Yeah. I'm in a pretty good position. Well, I was going to say, depending on who you are. For me, one shot drills are great. But for me, one shot drills are great too. But, and I developed this, trying to figure out how to find a, a more efficient way ammo and time wise mine's majority majority the majority of my issue with being able to practice a lot 
is time. I just don't have yeah. the time. Yeah. We go to a lot of matches. And so when I do get to the range, I got to be able to capitalize on the time that I have when I'm there. So when I show up to um, a match, or I mean, I show up to practice, and, you know, I might only have an hour to practice. And... Well, and there's a lot of times it's, what, 20 to 30 rounds. Yeah. I mean, it's not like we're mowing through ammo. No, 20, 30 rounds can get me through a lot. Yeah. So... I and so uh, what I I learned this from calves. The only way to get better is to really isolate, um, isolate certain things. So one day I'm gonna go there and I'm gonna be thinking, all right, I gotta get, I gotta make sure, like I've done this and this is how I've gotten better. My target acquisition, I got to where sometimes I was glassing for targets, and so I went there one day, and all I did was was work on trigger trigger control, which I work on every time. Because I think, and I think that, that one's easier once you get used to uh, the way I practice and the way I shoot. It gets it's easy because you're trying to put all your conscious effort into making a good trigger pull every time you squeeze a trigger. But that being said, because you and and because I want to practice making that shift, I have I feel like I have this speed and efficiency that I do everything in it's like a subconscious speed and efficiency of like transitioning and doing all these things to then um downshifting and then going slow and methodical and making and being conscious in in uh squeezing a good trigger then reacting to the recoil properly by not overreacting that's kind of the a big thing there and then um processing the information by measuring and correcting and when I do that then I then I do this thing where uh, I I want to stay in that moment whatever it is that I'm practicing I want to put put conscious effort into that thing so that then I can build that consciously so that then subconsciously I'll do it later it's just there yeah so um, what I would do is, I, so if I'm isolating that, I'm going to do some two-shot drills instead of one-shot drills that day, which I'll do. still do two-shot drills working on my trigger pull and sharpening up on that, especially to warm up. Um, and what I mean by a one-shot drill is um, I will have a shot timer, and I will set the par time to it doesn't even matter. Like most of the time, I just don't even have a par time, or it's like two minutes or something like that. But I don't care about the, the par time. My idea is is that uh, I'm going to go as fast as I can, set up my position, and see see, and then go through my process and pull the trigger. How long does it take me to do that if I do it as fast as I can? Go through all those steps and then squeeze the trigger pull as fast as possible. You know that's going to be in that five and a half to six and a half second range. Well, then I know that's max speed. That's that is that's that's what that's as fast as it ever needs to be well I don't want to be there I don't even want to be riding that line so I add four seconds or so four or five seconds to that time and then that's where I want my that's what I call my slow speed and that's overemphasizing perfection um, and then I so what I do is I, I get into the same position super fast and then I close my bolt and as soon as my bolt closes I think think about I think level and I level up my gun and I trigger, and then my finger touches the trigger, and I think squeeze. And a lot of times I take a breath as I go, 
squeeze and squeeze is what how I as I'm releasing the air and then I squeeze squeeze and 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 a lot of times in this one I do squeeze squeeze boom and that then the round goes off and I want that squeeze to be drawn out to where now if if I was um, sending the round at five and a half seconds now it's going off at nine ten seconds and that's and that gonna, squeeze process is three to four seconds instead of one to two yeah. Or, well, in the in the in the first one, it might only be a half a second, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, then I want to do that, and then I'll slowly let myself get a little faster, but not a lot, to where now I'm breaking it at that eight second range, and then I'm like, okay, that's good. That's that's a good what I call match speed. Well, in all reality, when you show up to a match, it's gonna get even a little bit faster, but hopefully, it's somewhere around that seven second range. It doesn't speed up too much. And so you now you know you're getting a perfect trigger pull every time, um, even at a match. And you want to be able, and you have something to fall back on when you know, hey, Austin Orgain's got me by two points, so I can't make any mistakes. What do I focus on so I hit every target? You focus on your shot process. And you go back to that instead of thinking, oh, don't miss, don't miss, don't miss, don't miss. You think, no, how do I hit? How do I hit? How do I hit? And then you get to where you can really... Um, zero in stay focused and be waiting um so if anybody makes a mistake you can capitalize on it um and so when i do two shot drills though that that allows me to to then obviously i can focus on using doing that eyes muzzle target or or eyes muzzle or whatever yeah, our eyes. However, I had I said it. It's getting late. Basically, look over top of your scope, find the t- target. Um, there's just ways to to change it up and isolate different things, and it's all going to be personal to everyone. But it's important to know what you want to work on when you go there. And the, if there was a list of things that you should like look um, introspectively at, is how am I doing my fundamentals and which ones do I need to go work on? That's going to be a way to go and to get better. And it's important to understand what each one is so that you can do that. So now we're actually going to end it there. Um, now that we've drugged this on for an hour and 15 minutes. So thanks for uh, tuning in. Check us out on Facebook. Uh, my, I'm just Morgan King. I'm the only dude on Facebook with guns on my profile that's named Morgan. Uh, well, Morgan King at least. But there's just not many Morgans that are dudes out there. So <laughs> it kind of narrows it down. So I'm easier to find. Uh, and then mine's just under Brady Allenson. It's, yeah, it's pretty easy to find too. Yeah, if you guys have any questions... Uh, hit us up on social media or both on Facebook and Instagram and thanks for listening to the Mythology Marksmanship Podcast we'll talk to you guys later